episode 106 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. I'm Brett Nolan of AppBag.net, and with me as always is Trevor Sheridan of App Advice. In this episode, Trevor and I explore hostile houses, dreary dungeons, and E3, while slaying dragons, knights, and each other. How you doing tonight, Trevor? Doing good. It's a full-on gaming extravaganza for this week's episode. It is. There's lots to talk about. And so E3 was this past week. That's why we didn't have an episode over the past week. But now we get to catch up all together. And so E3 stands for the Electronic Entertainment Expo. And essentially, it's for console games and big publishers. So there's not the most mobile game going on. But we can still talk about the grander scheme of video games, how it relates to Apple, how it relates to mobile, all that good stuff. And so first off, kind of the big thing is that we're proceeding towards a future without consoles. You know, whatever device you have is plenty good enough. And this is being pushed by Google Stadia, where they're going to run all the heavy processing of these deluxe games on their servers. And then you just need a good internet connection to access it on any device you may have. Right. Yeah. I mean, they announced this. I don't remember when the original Google Stadia announcement was, but it's this whole push to make it so anyone with any even an old device can play these console quality games. All you need is that fast Internet connection, which a lot of people, I would say most people have at this point. Uh, And so to remove that barrier to entry and have it just with whatever you happen to have at home, you can get on play these great looking games. I mean, that's a huge sell for people. And like people are going to jump on this if it's if they don't have to go and invest in a console and then worry about, hey, I'm not going to be able to play X game because I don't have this console. And to have this like kind of weigh in without spending a ton of money seems like a big win. And that's where we get into the crux of what is going to be Google Stadia, because now they've uh, offered a pre-order. It's 120 bucks. And with it, you have access to a very select set of games. And then as you go, you can kind of expand your catalog of games almost as channels. Like you start off, it's $10 a month to access Google Stadia. They have like Destiny 2 and a few other titles. And then say you want Ubisoft games. Well, you can get a Ubisoft channel. It's kind of like getting an HBO channel on your Apple TV. It's just a different service. And now you're paying $14.99 a month for Ubisoft games. And in the future, they can expand it. So maybe you have 2K games or Activision or what have you. Yeah, so this is where things start to get a little muddy in the waters because they have this initial subscription thing where when you pay that $129 for that starter kit, you get three months of premium service and then it costs you $10 a month after that. And right now, they really only have that Destiny game as the official everything else is kind of up in the air. They say they're going to have 30 at least 31 games from 21 different publishers, but and eventually they're going to have a back catalog of free games that are included in your $10 a month fee, but for right now it looks like you're not you're not going to rent games. You're going to have to be on these channels like other subscription services from separate publishers. You're going to have to buy games just as you would in like retail for retail prices 
in for like the Xbox, PlayStation, or Steam, all these other companies that you would normally buy the game and play it on your console, you're pretty much going to have to do it for a lot of these games, at least initially, until that catalog gets built up. So it could be kind of a slow buildup for the service. It, it seems like they didn't answer a lot of the questions. They almost made more questions about how much is this going to cost. It sounds familiar with that Apple TV Plus service, but regardless, <laughs> Google Stadia really jumped the gun because they felt like they tried to get in before E3. So this press conference for Stadia was on June 6th. E3 didn't officially start until June 11th, but Microsoft had their big press conference on June 9th. And they're offering Project xCloud, which is essentially their version of Stadia, where, again, you're running everything off of the cloud, off of Microsoft servers to run these heavy-duty games. The difference is that Microsoft has this whole experience in Xbox Game Pass and all of this content catalog. They have their own individual studios. They keep acquiring more and more. They fleshed out Game Pass a whole bunch at E3 with various announcements, and their upcoming new games like Gears 5 and Halo Infinite are going to be right into Game Pass. So they're going heavy-duty on Game Pass, and it's all going to tie into Project xCloud. And with Google trying to jump the gun, it makes it really look worse in comparison because they didn't know what Microsoft was going to do. And now we know Microsoft didn't do much, but the the premise of it is still intact to be greater than what Stadia is. Right. It seems like they would have been better off announcing Stadia once they had more of these deals in place and this kind of all ironed out. There's still stuff that's not even going to happen until 2020 with Stadia and to really kind of try to jump the gun because they wanted to be first and want to get these pre-orders in. It seems like they almost kind of just went a little too quickly and they don't have it all worked out just yet. And I think it's going to come back to bite them. Yeah. And it's funny because they, they went ahead and then at Xbox briefing, Microsoft essentially said, Project X Cloud is coming soon, and that was the extent of it. Instead, they decided to focus on their Project Scarlet, which is going to be their successor to Xbox One X, which like four times the processing, graphics rendering. You know, it runs 8K. It does. It's super awesome, beastly gaming console. But you're saying come buy this super awesome power horse or powerhouse, and then on the same token, we're also offering a service where the device you have doesn't matter. So Microsoft is balancing this tightrope between their two future offerings because xCloud is for the way future and then Scarlet is for like the next five years but they need to still sell Scarlet in the interim right and that's where it gets even more confusing on the Microsoft side because why you put it's almost like a few years back when they announced the Xbox One S and they were already announced the Xbox One X the same year like choose a lane and just like Focus on one of these, because now you're saying, well, you don't need any kind of console, but hey, this is the most amazing console ever. So I, I, which which do you believe? Are they going to go all in on both or are they kind of just trying to knock out uh, Google by saying we have this thing coming? Don't go ahead and and go with them. Stick with us. We have all these partnerships. We have original uh, games. We are the the one to stick with and before just before you get that buy our next console and so i don't know it's kind of sends a confusing message as to what the state of things are are we really ready to move to this cloud-based gaming or 
are we still in the console world? Are we still upgrading every five years to a new console? I, I don't know. I guess it depends on are they building the games where they're really not going to be able to play on this cloud service that you need this massive new console? Or is there a place for both and it's the people willing to spend the money that want it all in their house versus the people that want to use like a, a cloud gaming service? And then, of course, there's the intermediary, which is really intriguing. It fits into our usual idea is that iOS 13 is going to offer controller support. So that means you can get your PlayStation or Xbox controller and connect it to your iPhone and iPad and play the entire App Store library with a physical controller, which opens up new potential games because it's not like the iPad or the iPhone are struggling to run the games that are available. So that's a potential thing down the road. But on the flip side, there's also the idea that down the road, there's the PlayStation Experience app, the PlayStation Share app, where you can run, you can mirror your PlayStation 4 onto your iPad. And then if you could control it with the controller, then you're full ready to go. You're playing console games without any Google Stadia or xCloud or anything. So it's really dependent on how kind of Apple weaves their way through this because, again, they're focusing on Apple Arcade and all of these games are made with mobile in mind, but they still support controllers and can benefit from controllers. But to kind of have that choice plus this other kind of game streaming choice, if you had a setup where I'm going on vacation, I'm grabbing my iPad Pro and I'm grabbing my Xbox controller and I can play any game that I want, that's the future I think we all want. Right, you just got to make sure whatever you're saying has good internet. Right, it's all uh, internet-based. Yeah, so the first, um, the first beta of iOS 13 dropped, and they've already, I've already watched a few videos of the, uh, people pairing PS4 controllers and Xbox controllers to iPads and iPhones, and it's super simple. They just hold a couple of buttons, pair like you would any Bluetooth device. The one limitation there seemed to be uh, at least for this first build, is they can only pair a single controller at a time. So you're not going to be able to do something where you have um, multiple people playing with multiple controllers, at least not on this initial build. I assume for the big games coming out, that you're going to ha they're going to have to start supporting multiple controllers because not everything's a single player game. Mm -hmm. So uh, the one thing where uh, you mentioned the the PlayStation and how you be able to play all your PlayStation games. The thing that Apple positioned themselves with their new gaming uh, subscription service that's coming is they position themselves that these are games that you're not available to get in any other subscription service. They're not going to be on Android. They're, they might be on Xbox and PlayStation and Steam. So there might be other ways. Steam recently released that... Uh, the app that allows you to stream your Steam games right to your iPad. I had some trouble getting that to work my, with my Mac and streaming it to the iPad, but maybe if you had a PC and try it, I didn't have a chance to try that. But there's another way that you can play your games on using your iPad as your screen and a controller right on uh, your iPad. So do we even need this this Google Stadia service? If people already own a whole ton of games and have these consoles around, why not take advantage of the hardware you already have? Why pay more for more subscriptions uh, to get these games unless you decide to move that way in the future and that's how you get all your new games? But I don't know. There's going to be so many choices. It's just all going to come down to you've got to have a crazy good internet 
to be able to play these at top speed, top video quality, audio quality. So I guess we're going to see, is all of this going to affect the the various cable companies along with all these streaming video services? Are we going to have to start paying a lot more for our internet? And data caps. Or are we going to hit data caps? Yes. Like, I think that's going to be the biggest problem that's going to come out of all of this. We have all these choices, but it's going to end up costing us more somewhere else. You may not have to buy the hardware. You may not have to buy the physical games. But it's going to cost us in other areas. Yep, it's just a matter of time, and that's definitely worth considering. One other little side note, at E3, they did have a Project X Cloud system set up and running, and they have this cool little harness that holds your phone screen above the controller. So essentially, you're looking down at your phone, and your hands are right below that using all of the usual Xbox controls. So that kind of setup is really great for portable gaming, too. So is that kind of like that? Uh, they have that whole setup for like Android devices. Uh, I forget what it was. What who put it out? So it's that similar thing where like cl- there's a clip hanging off of the the controller, so your phone is right there, almost like it's like a mobile gaming device with a physical controller attached. Yeah, it's the harness, so the phone is directly on. Like you can't even see the joysticks or the buttons of the controller. They just have the screen oh, you covering. Can. Oh, your okay. hand fits underneath. Oh, okay. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, Yeah. it's all kind of enclosed in one space. And that's another opportunity because then, you know, Xbox is announcing that Series 2 Elite controller, it's 180 bucks, but it's an absolutely amazing controller in terms of the being able to adjust the kind of sensitivity of the joysticks and have three different profiles based on different games. Like you have a setup for Fortnite or a setup for Rocket League, and you can now pair it with your iOS 13 device. It's exciting with that how Apple's like overkill. Gonna, it's gonna Apple can position themselves perfectly with just a simple support for controllers on so many devices that are already in people's hands. Oh, I know. This is gonna be amazing that you're gonna be able to use these controllers that a lot of people have three, four of these controllers in their houses, at least two probably. And to now be able to use them for free with all of your other stuff. And even if you need to buy a controller, these are they're out there. They've been out there so long that I don't know how yeah. much the PS4 controllers are, but they're only like forty to fifty bucks for a for a uh, Xbox controller. You probably can get them even cheaper than that. But yeah, like these are cheaper than buying when these uh, when the Apple only original controllers came out. This is like even better price than that. That's like Stadia comes with a controller. It's like who wants to use that junky thing that you came up with? Well, that thing also you can buy it separately. It's like seventy bucks. Yeah, so that's a no for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so E3, like I said, it's a big console thing. And it's just a big kind of question mark for the future, because this one in particular, Microsoft was there. They announced Project Scarlet for 2020. But everybody else is really didn't have much of a presence. EA is off site. Bethesda and Ubisoft are having their own kind of pressers at various theaters around the place there was no sony booth at all this year usually in the west hall you have sony microsoft and nintendo all in the same hall this year microsoft was over across the street at la live sony's not there at all and nintendo essentially announced that they're working on breath of the wild 2 which is coming eventually animal crossing new horizons is delayed 
and we have Luigi's Mansion 3, even though no one knew that a Luigi's Mansion 2 even existed. So there wasn't much <laughs> from the three big guys doing stuff. So that makes you speculate and talk about the interim of, is this is next year's E3 going to be the, all the new consoles, and it's the last time we ever get consoles from these companies? Yeah, I who knows? I mean, I thought this past year was probably going to be the last time we saw consoles, but then Microsoft said, nope, we got more. But speaking of Nintendo, you can now pre-order the Dr. Mario game that's coming out on iOS. Yeah, July 10th. Uh, that's up on, it's up on the App Store, so uh, I pre-ordered it. It's free, so might as well check it out. Yep. And I did have a few different meetings. I just wanted to go over them really rapid shot, really quick. So meeting with Sega, we have Sonic Olympic Games coming essentially in April 2024, the new Olympics. You have... Game Loft somehow is still around making match three themed games based on <laughs> Disney properties. Um, we have Zen Studios is working on an awesome Apple Arcade game, and that's all that I can say. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm excited. And then, Zen. yeah, Bethesda, they're making this Commander Keen, which looks like a fun little platformer. It's kind of a rebirth of a 90s platformer. And yeah, I, I I've heard of Commander Keen. I, I I know I played it. I just I don't remember a lot about it. I remember there was like a little boy and a girl or something. Yep. And then I got to see Lego Star Wars: The Skywalker Saga, which is episodes one through nine, and it's not coming to mobile, but the game looks absolutely amazing. <laughs> you can jump nice. between every single planet that's ever been in a Star Wars movie. You don't have to just play the storylines of Episode Four or Episode Seven. Oh wow, that's cool. And then Fortnite had a huge presence, and it's actually on mobile, so it's kind of relevant. And they had a Fortnite summer block party the weekend after E3, which just was kind of a pro-am scene, you know, the esports way to do Fortnite. And then they also had kind of off-site or on-site little activities. You could earn your own battle pass. You get little collectible enamel pins. But really, their booth at E3 was one of the highlights just because... They had so much. You could get enamel pins. You could get fresh baked cookies. They had all these different versions to play Fortnite. And that included a time trial mode where there was a big wheel spin if you could complete it under seven minutes. So I go and play it the first time and they give it to me on PC. I've never played the game on PC. I don't play games on PC. So it took me like five minutes just to figure out how to control the game. But it gave me an idea of how to make it through the obstacle course. So then I went through the line again. There was only like 10 people on the line because everyone's else like, why am I going to go play Fortnite stuff? I can play that at home. Well, <laughs> it's because you can go win stuff. And so then I go back through the line and they give me an Xbox controller and I completed the thing in about five minutes. So I get to spin the wheel. It's this big, huge, you know, like Wheel of Fortune prices right wheel. And I asked, how hard can I spin it? And he's like, don't spin it too hard. It will take forever to end because it's so sensitive. And so I just kind of grabbed it with one hand and pushed it like a quarter turn. And he's like, you want to land on this summer block party section so you can win four tickets to summer block party, go up on stage and all this kind of cool stuff. So I'm looking at that square or that section that goes by and I'm like, well, looks like everything else is like socks and bracelet, luggage tag. I'm like, oh, this is cool. And it's clicking over, clicking over. And then all of a sudden I see game console up there and the guys who's running the thing is getting super excited and it lands right on game console. Nice. I got my choice of winning an Xbox One X or a Nintendo Switch. I got an Xbox One X. And then the guy goes to the back room. He pulls it out. And I'm like, do I need to sign for anything? Is there anything I need to do? And he's like, nope, it's yours. So I just tucked that under my arm. And I was oh. out. <laughs> nice. 
Uh, yeah, I'm, su- I'm su- kind of surprised that it didn't become like de facto uh, childcare, where kid the the daycare center where the parents just dropped the kids off to play Fortnite while they went around to the rest of the uh, the rest of the show. Yeah, it's because E3. I think you have to be 18 or over to get in. Oh, you do. Oh, okay. But that Fortnite summer block party, there was a ton of kids who were like eight to 12. So Fortnite is going to keep raking money regardless, so they can afford to well, give me an Xbox. Well, those kids eight to twelve would probably kick my butt at Fortnite. Oh, those are the kids I'm sure who kill me when I do play Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> but I might get better on Fortnite on mobile if I can connect my Xbox controller right to my iPad. Nice. Oh, actually, one of the demos I saw that that's what they did. They connected their Xbox controller to a nice looking new ver- new iPad and uh, played Fortnite. Then they did a uh, PlayStation controller, I think to a phone to play Minecraft and a PlayStation controller to uh, the iPad to play Asphalt 9, I think it was. Okay, sounds good. You know, before we move on, one game I did want to mention, it's called 12 Minutes, and Xbox showed it. I think it's coming to their Xbox Game Pass, and it's a total mobile game. It's a mobile game you've seen, you've played. It's reminiscent of Oxen Free of just those amazing, amazing story-based narratives where... The trailer essentially starts where it's a top-down view of an apartment, like, living room. And it's a man and his wife, and they're chatting about various things. And then he starts telling her, like, there's a guy about to come to the door. How did your dad die? And this guy, you need to get away from him. I'm the only one who can protect you. And it starts going into, like, the action amps up, and then the day resets, and then it resets again. And you realize that it's a whole time loop story sequence where you're playing the same 12 minutes over and over again. But you get to choose how you're going to play those 12 minutes. And the trailer shows him doing all kinds of things, whether it's trying to attack the guy who comes in the door or trying to escape the back room or just living with his wife and being happy together. Or even one of the sequences, he ends up crying next to the wife's dead body. So... This game is just absolutely amazing, but it looks like it's perfectly made for the iPad. Just I don't think it's coming to the iPad. Oh, that sounds awesome. It is Annapurna. Yeah, Annapurna. Publishing. And so they put some stuff out on iOS. They've republished some of their their PC and console titles. Yeah, a fingers to crossed iOS, so that maybe it makes it to iOS eventually. Yeah, I mean, I think they're also doing Apple Arcade titles, so it's possible if this isn't part of subscription service that we could see this on Apple Arcade too. Then, yeah, that that's kind of the thing. Is it going to be on Xbox Game Pass? Is that why it was at the Xbox briefing, and that prevents it from being in Apple Arcade? Yeah, as soon as it goes on another subscription service, yeah. it's pre- pre- prevented. So hopefully not, and hopefully may well. The, then again, I see, I don't tend to play these type of games on my Xbox, but maybe I'll have to pick it up. That, that's the thing. I'm like, if I'm on the Xbox, I'm playing like heavy duty console games. If I want like a just a story driven, you know, Telltale's type of game, I'm gonna be on my iPad sitting and just relaxing. Yeah, I mean, it's the type of game I like to sit with the iPad close and you, you have that physical touch to the screen. I don't know. It's kind of because, like with adventure games, it's kind of annoying to play with a joystick because mm-hmm. you have to keep cycling over to where you want to go. It's just much easier to just reach over and tap. And so, if you are listening, search 12 minutes trailer online and watch this thing. And I know you'll be hooked if you like any kind of time loop, like you watch Russian Doll on Netflix or something like that. Th- this is just my kind of game. 
I just brought it up. I'll, I'll watch it as soon as we're done recording. Yep. So that's pretty much all the future foresight, what's going to come. But guess what? There's stuff you can play right now on the App Store. And so we're going to start with Very Little Nightmares, which comes from the makers of Bring You Home and Love You to Bits. They are working with Bandai Namco to publish this one, but it's still the same development team. And so you get to play as this little Georgie-esque character from It. He has the little yellow hoodie on, the (laughs) raincoat, and you get to traverse this really kind of creepy area where there's kids in cages and mad scientists, and it's just a tap-to-move puzzle adventure game where pretty much you have to kind of figure out the order sequences to move from room to room but the core idea is really all you have to do is tap to move there's no other real control options you tap to specifically interact with certain items you might have to double tap to run to move through little action sequences but they've done this really ornate visual world of escape room or series of escape rooms all through tap yeah, I mean, it definitely has. It, I think it's actually a little girl that you're you're moving. It, this is kind of I there's a there's a console. Well, I know because it's a console game that uh, it's a girl in that one. And this, so this is. I don't know. I never played the console game, but it looks almost identical. And I think what they did was they kind of took the the console game, made it in a smaller form, and have this. Touch, tapping and touch. I mean, the whole game, you definitely feel that a like studio touch on everything. It feels like the game, it's a lot darker than Love You to Bits and Bring You Home. So it's maybe not as universally family friendly due to that, but it definitely has that same sort of feel to it. And you're just tapping and moving and solving these puzzles by doing things in the correct order and avoiding, uh, getting captured there'll be areas where you're walking over to the ground and there are tiles that break which cause you to fall and die so then you have to now learn the pattern of where you can walk in this room and to reach the thing or maybe you have to trigger a switch to then light up another part of the room to to see where you need to go so it's all of this kind of trial and error as you're trying to make your way through and uh just progress through the story and avoid getting captured and it, it it's really well done i my only complaint about the game is it the material is dark so I, I haven't quite my daughter absolutely loves every game that like puts out so i haven't quite let her play this one yet but beyond just the darkness of the material the overall darkness of the lighting I in the game is that. pretty dark and sometimes it is tough to see the spot where you need to tap to go. And it ends up being this trial and error of just tapping things in the, oh, there is something there where I can move. Where I guess it's kind of atmospheric, where it, it lends to the story because the character, maybe she can't see this. But I wish I could kind of see everything. It just felt a little too dark at, at, at points. Yeah, it's kind of like Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 3, but regardless, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think my problem more was it's a super slow burn. Like, their other games seem to have more engagement, like constant attention on screen. This one, it's a lot just deliberate with the way everything unfolds and going. And since you only have that tap to move, there's less to really do and interact with as he's climbing down the stairs. And then since it's so dark, you can't look at as much environmental design as their other games. Like, there's their usual amount of TLC put onto everything, 
but it just seems like a, part of it's lost in the darkness and part of it is lost in just the slow progression of everything. Yeah, I definitely see that. There are areas like long areas where you're just walking and normally in their games, there's all these little Easter eggs of little things to click on and little other little animated things to find. And there is a little bit of that of Easter egg kind of things to find, but nowhere near as much as in the previous games. I don't know if that's because Bandai kind of uh gave them a set of restrictions for this one. And this is, they showed them the console version. Like basically this is the game you're making, but for mobile uh, and maybe they were limited in their usual, uh, just the freedom they normally would have. But I, overall, I still definitely really enjoyed the game. It just, I, I, I like their previous titles more than this one. Yeah, I definitely agree. That's Very Little Nightmares. It's six ninety nine. It's universal. And then just as an aside, the big companies, they always kind of treat it as, oh, we were making a mobile game. And that comes with like this whole negative or simplistic connotation. Hopefully that goes away that I'm just making a video game, the platform it's agnostic to, especially because of all the controller and server stuff that we were talking about earlier. But for now, we're still stuck in that idea that, oh, it's a mobile game. Yeah, I completely agree. I hate when people go, oh, you're not a real video gamer because you play mobile games. But some of these mobile games are super impressive, and it's only going to get better with this, like you said, everything being kind of agnostic, where you can play on your mobile device, but it's what would be considered console quality. And with the Apple Arcade stuff, where all the stuff has to work on the TV, on your phone, on your iPad, with a controller it's there should be no difference that that whole kind of looking down on things should hopefully go away i mean granted there's always gonna be that uber casual mobile classic mobile game which that i guess if you're talking about match three maybe you could look down on it i i i guess but uh otherwise like if it's an experience it's an experience it's a video gaming experience yeah and it really i don't care what people think if the development studios think that we have to change design choices because it's a mobile game then we're in trouble right right i agree especially where we're trying to move to this this new era of gaming yeah and kind of i forgot to mention it e3 but it fits into that idea one game i did want to mention is gears pop it's going to be a collaboration between funko and Microsoft, it's based on the Gears of War franchise, but it's made as a mobile game. And so it's essentially Clash Royale. It's Clash Royale with a gear skin, and they infuse in, you know, more abilities, more changes, Funko animations when you do certain kills and stuff like that. But essentially, it's Clash Royale with a Funko Gears pop theme. Was it last E3 that we saw the teaser for that? When yeah. was that? Yeah, I think it was. Oh, wow. It's been that long. Wow. Yeah, but it's available to pre-order on the App Store now. It's coming on September 2nd. Oh, nice. Which is actually four days before Gears 5 launches on Game Pass for the Xbox. And then September 10th is the official launch date. But that's the whole start of September is a Gears time, plus Borderlands 3 is coming out. It's, it's a busy time right at the start of September. <laughs> yep. And so, back on track to where we were, Wonder Boy The Dragon's Trap is now available. And this game is really, really well designed graphically, audio-wise. 
they've done this great digital animation that looks kind of fluid like an old time uh, cartoon, but with this whole gameplay style. It's really outstanding. You start as a little knight and then you can transform into a dragon and you have the essentially dragon abilities. The problem is, I really care less about the storyline or I can't even go into more about the gameplay because the controls are so damn annoying. These are some of the worst controls I've seen <laughs> in the past couple of years. Like this is like those old olden times of the app store when people still didn't know what they were doing. The buttons are not rearrangeable in the settings as far as I could tell. So oh, they are. Yeah, no, they are. I, I couldn't find it. So that's even worse. You can't change it in game. You have to change it from the main menu. I do know that for sure. <laughs> and so while I'm playing the game and I'm super frustrated by the controls, I have to look down to do anything. I always have to look at the stupid buttons to do anything in the game. And the flow of the gameplay does not help at all for that setup. Yeah. So taking a step back. So this game originally came out in 1986. Uh, I think Should've it was or 1989. There. So it came out, I think, in 1989, and then they uh, redid it in 2017 for consoles and Windows. And it apparently it was super popular on the Switch. But obviously, all of these have physical controllers. So now they have to try to implement a touch control system, and they have these buttons. They started off, they've since updated the game and made them default to much larger buttons. The initial release the buttons were way too tiny way too small you could rearrange them you can make them bigger but you had to go in and do that and yes the menu was kind of buried to find this and and adjust it uh and even after you adjust it the controls just don't seem to work all that well it seems off like especially in the opening sequence you go a little bit and then you find this this boss battle very early into the game before the, like the main gameplay even starts and it's tough to get by him only because the controls just don't seem to respond the way you want them to. You're trying to jump and punch, jump and punch, and it seems to do one or the other. It doesn't do both. And so you just keep getting attacked, keep getting attacked, and you end up dying, and then you get a restart, and it just it ends up becoming super frustrating. But the game looks so freaking good, like graphically, and you think it's going to be amazing because you see all this and it's just really the controls bog this thing down. I I wish that they had done something better with the controls. I have not tried it with a physical controller. I assume it's going to be much better with a physical controller. It does get a little bit better now that they made those fixes, but still you're trying to like crouch and punch. Anytime you need to use two of the buttons at the same time, it's awkward and it doesn't quite work well. And it really seems like the thing that would play so much better with a physical controller. I I was familiar with the Wonder Boy series just because I on the Sega Master System I had played both the original Wonder Boy in 1986 and then Wonder Boy Mon in Monsterland in 88. So I was excited not only about just the, how it looked absolutely amazing. It kind of looks like the old Asterix and Obelix, I think it is like that French cartoon series of the Smurfs, like that really nice art style. Uh, that they use for for those uh, graphic novels and and books and cartoon series, uh, but it, once you get past the graphics and you can use retro graphics if you really want, but it looks terrible. You stick with the good graphics. I just they they need to do something about the controls. 
Yeah, probably doing two things simultaneously. Like when you face that first boss, you take so much unnecessary damage just because of the controls. And to be able to jump and attack at the same time is necessary in this game, and it's almost impossible with the touch control scheme. And, you know, I just couldn't really get into it. I wanted to give it a chance because it looks so good, because it has that past pedigree, but you, you're just, like, so frustrated, it's just not worth your time. Yeah, I think I'm, I will revisit this one once I can use my Xbox controller on my iPad. Mm-hmm. I will try this one again, but I, I'm having a tough time recommending it just because that controls just make it so frustrating. Yep, so that's Wonder Boy, The Dragon's Trap. It's seven ninety nine. it's universal, and that $8 price tag does not help when you can't even design controls for a mobile device, but <laughs> whatever. I, I don't lead game development studios. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's Sprint RPG, which comes from Natromi, and they keep coming up with iOS games, and it seems like it's a uh, law of diminishing returns where each one is worse <laughs> than their last one. And really, it seems like they haven't released a good one, and I don't remember when. And Sprint RPG continues that trend of games that are just getting worse and worse. So in this case, it's a dungeon crawler that's based on speed runs where you have a array of physical controls to either move forward, move left, move right, attack, or use shields, and you'll come against various dungeon creatures as you go, and you have a set amount of time to complete a given dungeon. And as you defeat enemies, you gain a little bit of a time bonus. But the main kind of crux is that it's a level-based experience, and it takes a certain amount of time to beat a level. But if you lose, you just restart that level. I I didn't care. There was no real difference between the levels as I was going through them. It wasn't this whole kind of chained run. So I guess I liked that it wasn't endless. But on the flip side, the levels taken by themselves were relatively easy enough to get through. Right. So I like the idea of this. I like the idea of the game. So if you messed up, so say you had to go forward and you had to hit something. Say you went forward too many times or you hit too early, you lose some of your time. Or if so, each of the different enemies had different attack patterns. So one, some of them you just had to hit once. Some of them you had to hit twice. One of them you had to hit once, back up, hit or move forward, hit them again. So if you hit the wrong button, then you lost more time. Otherwise, if you, you're trying to do it as quickly as you can because the time's counting down, but you also can't make a mistake, otherwise you get a little penalty, a loss of time. The problem I had with it, I like that whole aspect of it. I like that you're trying to get through the dungeon as quickly as you can. I just felt like it didn't really matter what direction you went. Eventually you would find the exit no matter what. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like there was a, a, a path you had to discover to get out, you just kept on going whatever direction you wanted, and you would eventually hit it, hopefully before time ran out, or you made enough mistakes that you lost too much time and died. Usually it was fairly easy to make it through the whole thing. It just, I didn't feel like I was actually progressing through a dungeon, I just felt like I was going from screen to screen, and it didn't matter. And I wish it just, the level design was a little bit better, or some more sense of like you were actually progressing through something. Yeah, you can see this on the screen, but it was all in like this old classic Game Boy black and white style where I think it would have worked better if they had color. I I don't know. To me, it, it I like the concept, but it just didn't deliver and it's not something I'm going to play past today. Yeah, you end up going through the motions. There's no maze aspect of 
the ideas of a dungeon crawler. So it seems like you can make it from start to finish within the given time, even with a few mistakes when you take it level by level. Like once you get lost going through a few level sequences, it may get a little tougher. But once you go level to level and there's no wrong way to go, you are just kind of blandly, okay, here's a level. Oh, I beat it. Now I'm on to the next one. And that's not a compelling experience. No, no, especially where they all just blend together. It's just different enemies. Like, didn't seem like a different location or anything. It just, because re- the enemies take up so much of the screen, you just basically have blank walls. <laughs> like, there's nothing compelling about the maze itself. Yep. And the enemies really didn't require that much different action on your part either, because you only have so many actions at your disposal. Right, and it's they do show you the but the exact button yeah. you need to hit. It's highlighted. It's not like you <laughs> actually have to memorize this stuff. It's all highlighted and shows you right there. Maybe I don't know. Maybe they once you get through ten or more levels. I think I'm up at level seven or something, uh, and that was more than I would have played because <laughs> I was kind of bored. Uh, but maybe they eventually increase the difficulty and and hide that stuff from you. I don't know. Yep. So that's Sprint RPG. It's free. It's universal. And then there's Night Brawl. It's also free and universal. I pretty much said all I need to say about the game. No. Um, (laughs) To be completely honest, it comes from Colin Lang Games. They have made soccer physics and wrestling physics and all those kinds of uh, goofy battle games where... Dunkers. Yeah, you don't have direct control of the character. You kind of just try to do your best with the physics engine they present with you and this is builds right on that idea you have a sword you have a shield you have a helmet you have armor you can upgrade all four of those aspects as you go but the main idea is that you have to defeat the enemy before they defeat you as you're tapping and holding the sword button so it swings 360 degrees around your character you can double tap on the arrow button to dash forward and you can jump and you're just kind of flimsy fly, flailing around to try to beat your enemy. Yeah, so that's what I loved about Rowdy Wrestling, Touchdowners, Wrestling, uh, Dunkers, all those games. It was just that one-on-one, you're trying to like get to the goal or get your opponent out. And I feel like this is kind of just repeating that it's this whole and now there's upgrades where you can get different armors or different weapons and i i understand what they're what he's trying to do where he's trying to make it a little more interesting because now you have upgrade systems there are three different modes there's a challenge mode which is that classic uh one-on-one kind of going after each other then there's survival seeing how long you can last uh and then there's a career mode that adds a, a little more stuff to it but to me, I just I missed the simplicity of the original, all those original games. I just felt more connected, even though I'm not a sports guy. I just thought it worked better in sports than this night brawling where you have the the weapon and the uh and and the armor and things. I just felt like the enemies that you were presented with, they were all leveled up. As soon as you started to level up, I don't know, maybe this was just pure coincidence, but as soon as I leveled up my character to make them stronger, uh, then all of the other people would now just be leveled up more too. So it kind of negated the purpose of me even bothering to level up because now the guys I have to fight with are just as hard as the previous ones. So why did I bother to level up? And maybe that works better if you are going one-on-one and you don't, and I don't know. To me, it just felt like we're rehashing the same thing 
there was nothing new, and I just preferred the the previous games. Plus, they made Battle Golf Online, which was awesome. Uh, I love that game too. Speaking of which, I'm still still obsessed with Golf Blitz. I'm just going to throw that in there. Nice. I did. I had Keeping to get in that there. streak live. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I would say go back to a Calvin Lane's previous categories, and uh, if you like any of those sports, grab any of those. Yeah, Night Brawl, I think, as I thought about it, the more problem with it is that it might be simpler in structure because there's not as much randomness. Since you can move deliberately with the left and right controls, your character doesn't kind of lurch forward in weird patterns. It makes it simpler, and it doesn't make it as crazy and chaotic. True. You do have a lot more control because you can do those dashes, and and you can jump. It ruins what makes the game. Right, yeah, because you you have too much control. The the fun of the original ones were that you were fighting against the controls, yeah. and you're almost reliant on luck at a large portion of it. Still, there is a, a fairly large luck component with this, because your opponents are all chaotic, but uh, I don't know. I just prefer the, the original series of games. Yep, so that's Night Brawl. It's free, it's universal. And then there's Nonstop Night 2. I will forgive you if you've never heard of the original. I cer- certainly haven't. And the game essentially, they've turned an action RPG into an auto runner that is almost a clicker where you have <laughs> a few different action buttons at the bottom and that's all. Your knight goes and runs down the pathways and fights all various enemies that he encounters all by himself. You don't have to touch the screen to defeat enemies. You just can touch the screen at various points to activate special powers, and that can do massive damage to enemies. Right, yes. You can take them out more. You get. Uh, you can grab a bunch of loot that then you can level up things, get new armor and, and things, or you can jump right to a boss battle if you want. So once you reach a certain amount of kills, then uh, this little jump into the boss battle button pops up, and then you can go into the boss battle, which... That's probably the most entertaining part of the game, but still, it's the same thing all over again. Your guy's just kind of running around, and you can just tap a few simple buttons to do special moves. They recharge over time, and you can unlock additional special moves and replace them, so you equip different ones when you go into battle. But it's really just an idle game with a little bit of interaction, a little bit of choice. It's not like a really... Like, this is the type of game that I think people would make fun of you for playing mobile games. Like, <laughs> this is kind of mindless. It's, I mean, I guess it does have more choices than some some games, but to me, it's it's kind of just, I, why bother? You're just doing something to keep your fingers busy. It's, it's really not challenging or entertaining. I don't know. It, it wasn't for me. I think I play. I think we may have talked about the original one when it came out, but I, I obviously it was that memorable that we don't that we don't really recall what we said about it. Yeah, it reminded me of Pokemon Quest and Disney Heroes Battle Mode, both terrible games with big brand names, and this fits right in that terrible idea just without a big brand name. And again, it comes down <laughs> to the development team being like, "We need to make this game for mobile." So you know that joystick to move the character rip that off. You know any kind of combos and stuff, take those out. You know any kind of skill required at all, we don't want anything. And then this is the end result game that you get. Well, it's so this I looked it up and this is the same company that made Nonstop Chuck Norris, which 
I think it's the exact same game, but just Chuck Norris in there <laughs> instead. And he's spinning around hidden things. Like, I'd rather, I'd almost rather play that. I might have to download that instead. <laughs> at least, at least Chuck, it's Chuck Norris. Norris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, that's nonstop night too. I don't have anything else to say about it. It's free. It's universal. The three free game this week are definitely past. Wonder Boy isn't much better, but it costs eight bucks, and Very Little Nightmares could be better for seven bucks, or at least right. could be better based on Bring You Home and Love You to Bits for any price. Right. I I just wish it was a little more family friendly, so I could let my daughter play. Maybe I'll let her play anyways. It's not too scary, but uh, yeah, it, it just I don't. It's not a bad game. It just wasn't as good as the previous ones. That's unfortunate. Yep, we're looking towards that future where we can connect our Xbox and PlayStation controllers to an iPad and play games where you actually get to control the main character and do stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's everything for episode 106. Yeah, that's all I got. Brett, thanks for joining. Oh, it's a pleasure as always. To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed, and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.